0: Hey, podcast world, this is Ramon Sanchez. I'm an associate clinical social worker out in California and host of Desigmatize, a roundtable mental health podcast where professionals I know, members of my community, and some of my friends can discuss topics worth desigmatizing. In honor of Autism Awareness Month, I invited three professionals who have the privilege of working with the autistic population and are willing to share their experiences. My first guest is Christian Palmer. Christian obtained his master's in education from Arizona State University and is also an alumnus from CSU Bakersfield. Christian currently serves as an assistant clinical supervisor working towards being a board-certified behavioral analyst at California Spectrum Services. He has been working with children with disabilities for over six years and agreed to destigmatize to bring awareness on behalf of those diagnosed with autism. My second guest is Jesus Padilla, a behavioral intervention assistant and CSUB alumnus. Jesus has over 20 years' experience working as a paraprofessional, including being a mentor, counselor, and ABA service coordinator within group homes, of children ages 7 to 17. My third guest is Alicia Aguayo, an early start interventionist from Bakersfield, California. Alicia currently works with infants and toddlers from the ages 0 to 3 years old who have delays in self-help, speech, fine, and gross motor skills. Alicia has been working in this field for about four years now and honestly loves what she does. Alicia agreed to do destigmatize to inspire female students from her alma mater of California State University Bakersfield and Independence High to join the profession to aid the destigmatization of autistic children. And now, here's our episode. Alright, this is episode 5. Of destigmatized autism, respectfully, professionals involved in autism. Welcome, guys.
1: What's up, John? Good for you.
0: All right. So, as we talk about this, um, I just want everyone to know that April is Autism Awareness Month. And the reality is that autism, whenever we kind of think about this, it's kind of it, there, there's always a stigma associated with, with individuals that have autism. There's always this misconception and and i want to talk about this and for me autism awareness month that should be something that should be changed down the road i feel like it should be autism acceptance month because for me and and i'm not just saying this because i want to be politi- politically correct or anything like that like i just want to go ahead and make sure that i you know I don't, I don't i don't care if like this cancels anything but for me i really do believe that people with autism should be accepted and For me, I really do believe that autism is not a disability. It's just a different ability to really understand life. And autistic youth and adults are extremely uh, amazing and beautiful individuals. And that should be accepted. I don't know how you guys feel about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I agree with you. It should be accepted. But I think it also should bring awareness. Uh, The only reason I say that is because a lot of people don't know what autism is. You know, people are afraid of it. People don't know, you know... They look over and they say, "Oh, that kid has autism." And they don't really know how, to, you know, how to approach them, how to react to them, without being, you know, offending somebody or being offended by themselves. But like you said, we should also be accepted. You know, there's a bunch of people out there with autism that, you know, they're just doing their best, you know, and doing what they can, living to their potential, and we should accept them for who they are.
0: Right. Absolutely. So, I'm curious, Christian, what what do you do? So, you're a clinical supervisor for an organization here locally. Yeah. So um, tell, tell me a little bit about what you do.
1: So my job kind of compels of like multiple different areas. So I work with like Early Start, like Alicia. Um, I also work with kids, you know, higher age levels. So I work from, you know, up little as one year all the way up to 18 years old. We provide services for these kids, you know, making sure whatever they need, we can help them with independence, you know, self-help, academics, all that kind of stuff. Helping parents, you know, adapt their le- their teaching style to their child. Uh, because really when you have autism you learn a different way you know you be talked to a different way and we have to keep provide the parents with those kind of tools so that way they understand like hey i have to adjust myself in order to really reach my child
0: right right cool and, and what about you alicia i mean you you work with with a younger population you work with infants and toddlers as stated as in your intro can you tell us a little bit about what you do
2: so um like ramon said i work with um toddlers anywhere from the ages of zero to three years old and these toddlers can have developmental deficiencies anywhere in fine motor, gross motor, um, self-help, speech. Um, a lot of these parents don't even know that their kids are autistic. So it takes um, you know, us to kind of um, help them and lead them in that way, um, get resources, the things that they need. Um, And kind of give them more information Because like I said a lot of parents don't know What autism is And there's also those parents that Don't believe that their kid is autistic So they don't want the resources Um, I've been told by uh, my boss That there are um, parents who um, Don't want their kids to get tested for autism Because they don't believe in autism They don't want their kids um, Being referred as an autistic kid Mm. And um, you know we just try to um, pull through Just um, help these kids as much as we can
0: Right And and this is a question for all three of you guys Do you guys see this The cultural aspect of it That culturally autism is not accepted They're, they're just You know I, I kind of I, I've heard of this And, and it, it's such a horrible thing It's like they're mongolitos You know it's especially like in Spanish cultures Like I hate hearing that And I feel like you know That's, that's something that is part of our culture unfortunately What are your thoughts on that Jesus?
3: Um, I'm all over the place with this because I've worked with so many different clients. Uh, seven years-ish with ABA previous to that group counseling. And one of the group homes was a special needs group home. But a lot of them were either development delayed. Uh, and when Asperger's was still considered something different, now it's on just on the spectrum. Right. So now it's every even autistic autism is just everything on the spectrum kind of thing now so right. you can be anywhere where what we call minimum uh, the minimal where you make eye contact the, the basic stereotypes versus overly hyper and so it's stuff like that but there is a a stigma about that and and the whole mongolito more is of the id kids as we say now uh,
0: and, and what does id mean
3: ID is the inte- uh, Intellectually deficient Gotcha So um, Or intellectual disability As you want to say Either or um, They went away from The word retarded You know Stuff like that From many You know Many yeah. years ago So make it more Political correct right? Which is more sound
0: and, and even Asperger's Right they Like Asperger's is that-
3: still <clears throat> Asperger's But it's On the spectrum Versus being It used to be More considered of a solo Kind of thing From what mm-hmm. I remember Now it's part Of the whole spectrum mm-hmm. And I don't know If it's actually Honestly it's been a minute So Um it might be just within this autism spectrum. But um, they're right. There is a stigmatism. There's people who don't want to believe it. There's people who actually want their kid because, hate to say, but people like the benefits sometimes when you get that. You know what I mean? And there's people who, like they say, they need academic help. Right. But And he touched upon um, about parents, you know, teaching them. So that was one of the things that I was really an advocate for, for teaching the parents because it's really in the end it's basic parenting you know but a lot of the parents felt that the direct staff the professionals that go in and help their student their child was the babysitter the teacher and they 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 learn you do you you help him you show me and and then they, I think I'm gonna'm I'm magic and it's gonna happen overnight right versus there's retention for that's homework for them to do continue what I'm showing them every day you know so it's it's a tough task because sometimes they don't want to do the work. Gotcha.
0: Is that is that something that's that's pretty accurate, Christian?
1: Yeah, you actually see that pretty often. <clears throat> you can go in there with all the resources, all the materials for this family, but it really takes the family to kind of digest, you know, and implement what you teach them outside of those session times. You know, sometimes you only see kids for two hours, you know, five times a week, that's only 10 hours of the day. Right. They're stuck at home for the rest of the time, and you expect the parent to kind of, Do what they can on their part to keep the retention, you know, keep the progression going. That way the kids learn and they retain all that information that we're giving them.
0: Gotcha. So so touch base about that. So let's go ahead and say, you know, I am an autistic child. What does my parent need to do? You know, what, what does my mom and dad need to do? Or, you know, my parents, what how do we start services if I am that child?
1: It really just depends on your level. Like there's, you know, mild, severe, moderate. It just kind of depends what kind of help you need. You know, it depends whether you have behaviors. An assessment. Yeah, an assessment, whether you have behaviors, whether you need, you know, safety awareness. It just your academic level. It just depends on what part of the spectrum you are. And that depends on how much we can give you. You know, do we need to give you behavioral help? Do we need to give you independency, adaptive living skills, communication skills? Are you verbal? Or are you nonverbal? It just really depends. But once you get that assessment, you get referred by your, by your pediatrician. Um, then that's when we can really give you a program. Okay, you know, this kid's nonverbal, let's give him an icon exchange so you can communicate better. What is an icon exchange? Just a set of pictures. You know, if you want something, the kiddo's gonna give you a picture of water to show that he wants water. Gotcha. Um he wants mom's attention, he's gonna give you a picture of mom, you know. So anything with his, him either giving you the picture or just tapping the picture just to gotcha. easily communicate.
0: Okay, so so there's and I'm I'm assuming that they learn that if they're older, like it's it's a little bit easier for that to happen. But let's say that If it were to be like an Alicia stage where it's zero to, you know, to two years old at that point, they're they're probably getting better at being able to identify pictures. But let's say that they are zero. Are there essentially signs and behaviors that let professionals like yourself know that, hey, this child may be autistic. And what are some of the warning signs?
2: So some of those warning signs are they're not speaking yet when they should be saying words by a year, a year and a half. So at a year, they should already be having a vocab of one to five words and um you know that's one sign another sign is any delayments so if they have delayments in crawling walking that's when you start getting um that's when your pediatrician will actually refer you maybe you know you might need some services and the early start services they really help because you know for me i've seen improvements in my kids um just having it um a teacher like me um christian and jesus come by it really does help and make a difference um you get to work with these kids i work with my kids maybe two to three times a week for an hour. Um, so, yeah, that's, you just kind of work with them to get them where, where you just kind of meet them where they should be.
0: Gotcha. So, and again, I'm going to go ahead and, again, I, I know a little bit about this. My expertise as a social worker is in adult mental health and wellness. So I know a little bit about this because that was part of our graduate program. But I'm going to act as an incompetent, you know, individual that really doesn't understand and I'm going to go ahead and just be asking these questions. Like, for example, like what are some stereotypes that, you know, that are afraid that like I know that there are certain children that are afraid of certain lights and big booms and sounds. So are there stereotypes that are followed with the autistic individuals? Like I know that a stereotype is something along the lines of, oh, I'm super obsessive compulsive. I I have to have everything straight. And if you touch something, I, I completely lose my crap.
3: Is that is that a fair stereotype? To a sense, yes. But the the stereotypes I, I remember and hear about are the whole they don't look at you, they avoid you, they avoid con- eye contact, minimal words. Um, you know, they stem, which is one of the actual other signs is they stem on a toy. They can have something that just spins, 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 and that's what they want to continue with, or it could be just something that makes it sound like a tapping sound. Or if they're fidgeting. So that's why the whole VIF fidget toys are out, like a craze right now because of autism. And <laughs> and it's it kind of sucks, but then it's cool because of the fact that it helps them. You know, I could be autistic, 20-year-old, but I need something so I can talk to you and focus.
0: Right. So that would be something like a fidget spinner or, you know, the the, the cubes. The
3: cubes with all the little things on them. They need something to click back and forth. Do you, or, you guys know the names,
0: the names of those toys, like, you know, like, you know that i know that there's like little pop bubbles what, what are those called
3: yeah those are pop, just basic poppers puppets Poppets. Puppets.
0: puppets got you what are some other stereotypes Christian? that that you you know associate or like someone that that doesn't understand autism at its fullest what would be some stereotypes or some common stereotypes that would be said
1: would be said about these individuals yes um, a lot of people just are afraid you know and they're saying the wrong thing, saying they're dumb. You know, they can't, they don't know how to learn, they don't know how to listen. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the times you get parents that, you know, they don't know how to control their child out there in the public, you know. Autism, you can see a lot of tantrums, you see a lot of outbreaks. And it's very common for kids with autism, once they kind of get going and they're riled up, it's really hard for them to calm down. Um, And especially when you see that out in the community, you know, other parents will look at it like, man, this parent can't control their kid. What are they doing? They're bad parents. And and realistically, it's just, how the kid is you know you have to be patient with the kid you have to let them tantrum it out you have to you know provide them the necessary tools in order for them to calm down um and it's not black and white you know every kid's different everyone has a different plan and it just kind of takes a lot of patience
0: for sure um alicia i, I think and jesus kind of touched on it like i i uh, for sure have heard within my family especially with a young infant um there was a stereotype that hey your child is just messing with the wheel and he's he's at the he's 0 years old he's you know between 0 and 1 year old and he's just spinning the wheel this guy this kid is autistic you need to go ahead and get him checked out is that a, is that a stereotype that's pretty common in your field
2: um i would say so yeah there's some parents that say oh why is my child doing this he's doing this repeated behavior but Sometimes they're just really caught up in the toy and they really like it. Sensory. Um, Yeah, sensory. So just the touch and feel and just seeing how cool and creative it is. Um, But I don't necessarily um, see that as being an autistic. um, Like a trait? Trait, yeah. Um, I have a lot of kids that are really into my toys. And with my um, job um, specifically, I have a lot of kids that get caught up with my toys. So it's kind of hard to transition Um, from one toy to another so you know you start getting the tantrums and stuff like that and at times, I have to let them keep that one toy in order for me to move on to another toy so we could work, you know, um, on that specific toy that I have.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, for sure. And and, and it's kind of like BS to to even assume that, right? Because mm-hmm. we're like, we're fucking 30 years old now. And we still get the freaking the pop little bubbles that come in our in our Amazon packages. And we still mess with those just for mm-hmm. funs and giggles. So is that, you know, would that make us autistic? That's, you know, that's not the case. That's a yeah. sensory
3: thing that we, we touched on. A lot of it is sensory. You got kids who just need... And a lot of experiences and, and times that I work with different kids in the school settings as well, they have these uh, little um, seat cushion kind of squeezers that they sit in that they have to have that. It's like a pressure under, under, the, under the legs, like their butt and their back kind of like sandwiching them and that gives them a sense of sensory like they're being held. So that keeps them still. And sometimes it doesn't, like you said, it's not a cookie cutter kind of thing. Everything's the work for everybody. It's always something different. Right. And you'll always have to adapt. What well, we're working <laughs> yesterday here, Christian, here's this bottle of water today. He hates that stupid bottle of water. Right. He's Like, fuck. Uh, well, what do you want me to do? Okay. Well, here's a toy you know just to pacify it I and mean, that's what happens is that parents pacify their kids so therefore that they know that's the behavior so anytime that's basic parenting rule on one do not pacify your kid with something that he wants touch you, base
0: about that what does that mean
3: okay to pacify is when you have a kid who's having a tantrum and he wants a tablet you're tired of him screaming and yelling you give him the
0: tablet just to just to conform with the behavior just exactly. to stop the behavior so therefore
3: he knows everything now he's 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 a, he's, a, he's a, he systematically knows now <laughs> let me have a ta- i'm gonna have a fit I'm going to get my tablet. Right.
0: So it's, it's a learned behavior.
3: It's a learned behavior. And they know, they know the game. So another thing is a lot of our artistic friends, those on the spectrum, are all about routine. Most, most of them are 100% routine. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to say every last one of them because... It's not black and white. It's not black and white. But you deviate from what their normal routine is sometimes. Oh hello break loose
0: oh wow so let's let 's talk about that let let's let 's share some stories like what are some like fun
3: tantrum stories that you guys
0: have that that our listeners would enjoy
3: okay, I got one so I worked with a twelve year old when I first started working. Um, he was my second or third case, and he was one who had to be reassured or affirmed or acknowledged better better yet acknowledged, so he can be. I could be here. You and I are together, Mister Raymond. Christian gets here. Mister Raymond, Christian's here. Say yes, yes. You see him? <clears throat> yes. But Christian's here. Did you see him? Yes, I did. But you see him? You see him? Yes. But he's here. Yes. You say hi? Yes. But he. But he's here. Yeah. So he would do this all the time. Okay. He wants reaffirmation all the time. And if you tell him, okay, we're gonna okay, put your shoes on. We're gonna go to the store, mom. We're gonna go to the store, mom. Yes. Mom, we're gonna go to the store mom we're gonna go start so yes mom no mom we're gonna go start mom ignores them because you're doing a planned planned ignoring
0: so so this was so this was part of the intervention that you prov- that your, that your treatment team you provided
3: mom, mom was already up to speed but i brought in something else if you ever go to a, a supermarket everybody brought it up you got a kid having a tantrum in, a, in, in the store intervene i bet you that kid stops so that's what we're there for gotcha so he would do this consistently all the time and he would just tell me you're gonna, we're going to the store and he would lose his shit because we didn't answer his question. Wow. Even though we answered it five times.
0: Yeah. Got it. So you initially start you initially you did give him the respect of answering the question. But maybe, for him, maybe it was two or
3: three times we gave him the we gave him the, the acknowledgement and then he just lost his shit after that.
0: So it was like a reduction. Right. So like essentially the, the initial part of this story was me answering. Yes. And it was yes, yes, yes. And just you tell get, me,
3: just tell me, yes, just tell me, tell me, tell me. And I go, no.
0: And it was essentially kind of feeding to that compulsion. And then afterwards, the intervention was, let's go ahead and reduce it. Instead of answering it every time, let's answer it two to three times. And then, but that would cause a tantrum.
3: I've done it where I even turned it on him. Did I answer you? Yes. Did I answer you? And he would get mad because I would ask him again, did I answer you? You'll see what's going on here. And he kind of got it. He was a smart kid. No, No, no doubt about it. Right. But that was part of his stemming is like he needed information. He wanted to acknowledge We come over and over and over again with that.
0: Gotcha. What about you, Christian? What are some like tantrum stories they got?
1: So actually, <clears throat> so actually I actually have an 18 year old that I currently work with um, and he's very schedule driven. You know, every day he asks who's coming, who's coming to the session today, who's going to help me out. And he expects it to be that person every time. You know, we've got him to the point where he, even if someone cancels, as long as you give him a heads up, He's okay. Okay. But, you know, there's going to be instances where someone cancels at the door, last minute cancellations, and that's where he really blows up. You know, you can't provide him with the answer. Hey, so-and-so is not coming today. They're feeling sick. He jumps out of it. He's banging on walls. He's kicking stuff, running around the house because that ritual, that routine has been broken up to a point where, you know, his replacement behavior was him being told ahead of time, you know, hey, no one's coming today. Be ready for it. What can we do? Let's calm down. Um, but he didn't get a chance to use that replacement behavior, so that's why he blew up because right. he got told last minute. He didn't get time to prepare mentally, prepare, and that kind of blew him out of his routine, which and you know involves behaviors around the house.
0: Gotcha. So, like, if if you one of you or your staff were to have an emergency or even a mental health day, which is super appropriate to take, you know, a, a day off or it's just unscheduled and you need to take one to go ahead and. And debrief for yourself as a professional, um, it, and he wasn't told in advance. Then he would completely lose it and and throw a tantrum. Yeah, correct. Wow, no, that's that's uh, that's crazy. You know, not not crazy to think about. It's super understandable, but you know, from from a child's perspective, because that's like their entire world, right? They're super focused and fixated on their routine. Gotcha. What about you, Alicia? Like, you know, you have uh, zero to two year olds. What, do do these individuals, <coughs> through these little babies, toddlers, throw tantrums?
2: Yeah, they do. So I actually work with a two-year-old and um, this started off in the beginning when I started working with him because when you first get the cases and the kids, it's, it's a little difficult for them to transition. So they're used to like playing around, you know, and then now they have to sit down at the table with me and work on these activities. So um, the kid that I was working with, um, I pulled out one of my puzzles and he loved the puzzle. It was um, shapes and colors and we were working on that. So when it came um, time for me to put the puzzle away and grab a new toy, he started throwing the tantrum. He wanted to play with it. He was telling me, mine, mine, my puzzle. And then um, that's when I had to, like, start thinking, what can I do to, you know, make the transition smoother? So I asked the parents, hey, like, I'm going to go ahead and try a timer. Um, um, Every time that we play with a toy, a different toy, and we need to transition, the timer's going to go off. So that was my whole way of... um, you know, stopping the tantrums with this specific kid. Um, he knew that once the timer went off, okay, time for another toy. Right. And that's um, basically what I'm doing now with most of my kids is I have to have that timer because it's really hard for me to get the toy out of their hand.
3: Right.
0: How do the, how do the parents react? You know, because um, I'm assuming, you know, I, I, and again, I'm not a parent, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm assuming that if I were to be a parent, I would lose my crap if you tell me, like, if you if you were to take that toy away from my child, I would get into, like, this defensive mode. Does that happen pretty often?
2: Um For me, no. Um Most parents are sitting there with me at the table, so that they're watching, like, what I do throughout session. But there's also those parents that, you know, go off into their other rooms, do chores and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. they kind of just leave me out there with the kid at times.
3: Gotcha. I want to chime in on that. So what happens is... Like I said before, they, they believe you're the, you're the fixer. You're the magic man, magic person. That's going to fix all the problems. That's going to fix all the problems. But here's the thing that we we are to teach them our resources or what we're or we're doing with them. So we're basically reteaching them how to be a parent to how to deal with their, their child. Not so much deal, just work with him because we deal with many things, right? So the least of your problems is this kid. He has a certain routine. You need to know what... What I'm doing with him is what you need to re- replicate as best as you can. I'm not saying be exactly like me because I'm a professional. We've, we have experience. We know what to do. But There's not trainings. Every- and- there's trainings and there's other stuff. But then, again, it goes back to Route 101. This is Parenting 101. If you want your kid to do something, he has to do this other thing first in order to get that reward he wants. So if you want him to pick up um, his his room, right? So... Something very simple. One of my cases that I had was very simple. They had trouble with him taking a shower. He would take forever. He would do these things. And I go, so back back to our routine situation. And I go, have you guys ever gave him steps? Like count out steps, what he needs to do to take a shower and come back and et cetera, et cetera. So we go, step one, get, go get your shirt. Step two, get your underwear. Step three, get your shorts. Step four, get a towel. Step five, go to the bathroom. So you develop a plan. So that's the whole that's the whole lesson plan just for bathing, and we got to everything to minute like micro micro. Put your towel on the toilet seat. Put the toilet seat down. Put all your clothes and everything there. Turn on the water. Get in. So then eventually you got to a point where it could get your clothes. Go to the bathroom. Right. Sit. So then you develop. So the same thing with verbal stuff.
0: And at that point, the parent, the parent would want it to be fixed because now you taught them this. I
3: taught them that, and then day one, I told them the night before I left, and I told them, "Hey, you know, this this, doesn't do this. Give them this, this, and this."
0: As you to the parents,
3: that was their homework. Okay. Next day I came, I go, how'd it go? Fucking amazing. They whispered, like they like, oh my god, right? And then from then on, he did it. Okay, I'm gonna leave. What do you gotta go do? shower he, he was very verbal so that's another thing we can talk about but the thing is that when you teach a parent certain things or a certain plan they have to follow through or not we're just going to there for nothing we're doing day one every day and we show up is that for christian
1: <clears throat> yeah that's actually very true you know um the ugly side of it is that there's a lot of parents that don't really care you know you can provide them with the game plan you can give them the steps you can give them the you know the whole procedure minute minute and they still won't do it You know, um, I have a client, you know, I've been able to provide a lot of resources to. But when you come out to it and you're like, hey, how's this going? How's it going? You know, you know, I really haven't had enough time. You know, we've been all busy. I can't really do it. And, you know, from us, it's kind of frustrating because we're there, you know, two hours a day doing the best we can. And we're trying to provide results for this kid who really needs the help. And, you know, on the other side where the parents really need to kind of step up and do their job, it's just not happening. We see that pretty often, you know, where parents just don't care. Parents are just not as involved in their child's learning or, you know, it's a little sad to see, you know, you can't just do it all for this kid, even though they really need that. Right.
0: Help. So there's some individuals that, and, and again, I, I'm, I'm trying to be like devil's advocate in a sense, right, where there's, there's certain responsibilities that parents do have and they have to go ahead and take care of all the stuff. And it, it's also difficult to go ahead and balance because then they may have like additional children or other like other responsibilities to go ahead and, and fixate on. But there are some success stories. I'm, you know, I'm assuming for every, for every, you know, bad experience that, that there is, there are also some very good success stories and, and very good, you know, those individual parents that want to go ahead and improve the behaviors and want to go ahead and learn how to be this parent. Cause you know, I, I'm thinking about this from like a perspective, like what if I were to have an autistic child? I'm assu- like, I don't even know how to raise a child period, much less an autistic child, you know, w- what are some stories that you guys could share, that you know of individuals that are genuinely asking for help and and really do what is being asked of them to do, and, and you see some you know some gradual
3: progress. If I could go, the one I gave you about the shower, all day every day he did what I asked him. Anything I might need him, we did a lot of tacting. Tacting is um, telling me what I'm showing you, or. Give me this. Give me that. Give me the all. Give me everything purple. Give me, uh, everything. Give me everything that looks has seven on it or whatever stuff like that. Yeah. Or manding or learning how to ask for things, right? So he would never. There was a problem that he would just go and grab stuff, right? So back to the nonverbal part, you had a kid who would just go grab it. Give me the bottle. I go no 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 no. What do you need to do? And it could eventually be just him pointing at it. Then it could water. Eventually, water, please. Can I have water? And hopefully we can get to, may I please have a water, please. Yeah. Or whatever, right? And they might just stop at, water, please. And that's it. And that's their vocabulary for the rest of their life. That's all they know really how to say because we have kids who you have to sign with and et cetera, et cetera. But... Sign as an American Sign Language. Yeah, ASL. So, you, so there's kids who and and some kids who are very nonverbal. They don't. They're not taught that. So that's another aspect that <laughs> needs to be touched upon with with our tested friends because those like she like she commented. Sometimes they're not verbal at all. Early age Dawn. So that's around the time they need to start learning ASL. Gotcha. Elisa, do you know ASL?
2: Um, I know like the basics, like more please um, and thank you.
0: Gotcha. But those and I'm are- assuming all the curse words as well. <laughs>
2: That's no. on our
0: own, though. <laughs> <laughs> I know all of those. <laughs> um,
2: but when I do get my kids, because most of my kids come in maybe like a year, a year and a half, and that's the first thing that I work with when they're nonverbal. So I'll do the signing, like, pl- uh, more, please, thank you. Um, and I'll teach the parents, too, because I had this one parent come up to me, my kid's doing this with his hands, what does that mean? And I told the parent, oh, that means more. Because like I said, a lot of the parents are, um, they're not present in the in the classes in the sessions yeah so i'll I'll tell them oh like this means more this means please thank you and um you know the parents will use it with them too
0: what are some of the barriers and this is a question for everyone like what are some of the barriers that as to why the parents aren't involved in the sessions
1: uh so like alicia said earlier it's a lot of denial um a lot of people don't know what autism is the expectations of what we do like like tue said earlier jesus um they think we're miracle workers They think we're here, you know, we're going to fix your child in a few weeks. And, you know, they're going to be good as new. They're going to bring them up to a normal kid. Um, Some parents don't even want us there. You know, they got referred to us. They're just doing it because they have to. Um, And it's just, you know, the sad truth of it is that some parents just don't care. Some parents are in denial and some people just turn the blind eye. Right. Gotcha. What what about you, Alicia?
2: Um, I actually have a story about um, a case of denial. So um, the first time I had went to this parent's house, the dad was telling me, that the mom wanted services uh, because the kid was two and a half years old and he wasn't saying any word and the dad had told me i don't know why my wife wants to do services i know my kid's not autistic he's just not speaking you know maybe he'll speak at three four and i just assured the dad like "Uh, i'm just here to provide services and to help your kid out and um you know sure enough in that session the first word came out dog the kid said dog in the session and the dad was like, wow, like I've never heard him say a word before. And I worked with the kid for five months and he was saying three word sentences. And the dad told me on the last day, he was like, thank you so much for helping my kid. I honestly, you know, I was scared. I didn't know if my kid was ever going to say a word. So like his
0: truth came out at like five months. Like there was this like, was it like a cultural denial or like a cultural barrier that prevented him from being able to be accepting of any help?
2: Yeah, um, he told me that his mom told him, oh, like, he's going to he's gonna talk. He just needs some time. But you also need, sometimes kids need that extra help. Right. Because um, some parents don't work one-on-one with the kid. They don't do activities. They don't go over, like, their numbers and stuff until they get into preschool, kindergarten. Um, I've seen a lot of parents do that. Um, by the time I come, when they're two and a half years old, they don't know their colors or numbers. We're the ones working on them, like, one-on-one.
3: right. Gotcha. No, that's true. Um, like, okay, my, my son, he's like absorbably smart, right? Because he has two older siblings and I got my nieces live with me. He's probably, my my daughter was probably the same at that age, but he's two now. And he knows everything and it's all Spanish. He knows all his colors in Spanish. He knows his numbers. And it sounds like he can count to 10 at times when we start counting. It's like, you know how you hear a song? Right. You only know it when you hear it and you can actually know the next words or whatever. So it's kind of like with him. But when you have these little ones, it's, you're, you're banking on the fact that he's just delayed. You know what I mean? You're thinking that since we, we know it's our fault, we never really talk to him, we never try to work with him. So there's that excuse that certain parents may say because I, I work with a kid who's not necessarily autistic. He, just, he was 21, more behavioral, but he would not retain a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? So sometimes they're not always retaining the things that we're trying to teach them. So I would teach them, okay, what, what's a personal bubble? And he would, or what's, what's personal space? And he was like, your personal bubble. And I can ask him 30 minutes later and he'll just pause. Like he, he doesn't know what I'm asking him.
0: Yeah. I, I like that you brought that up, Jesus. Cause I was actually, that was actually going to be one of the, the later topics, questions that I have for you when it comes down to personal space. Like I remember I did a fun run with, uh, with the Casa organization, a local, a local nonprofit and, uh, and they do a superhero run. So my thing is my favorite superhero is the flash and I wore a flash shirt and I put some flash underwear over my <laughs> pants. And that's how I ran, right? I had this cape that they gave us and there was, um, you know, and I was able to go ahead and recognize that when I did this fun run, there was a little, there was an individual, he was older he, um, and he came up to me and he didn't recognize that there is personal space or he didn't understand the boundaries, meaning how far away he should stand for me. And I'm assuming that's also kind of goes back to the question that I had earlier, like stereotypes, you know i was able to recognize it luckily and you know all i wanted to do was go ahead and give him a hug and be like hey you know everything is going to be okay but then also that's like a boundary that you just cannot do you know you can't just hug this individual that you know is going to is suffering and not suffering but you know is living you know with with the condition that he has and just doesn't understand and and just be able to go ahead and reassure him
3: hey everything is going to be okay is that a common stereotype let me chime in on that um i'm i'm of the belief that those are the ones who need it more than anybody else. Like, that's the exception to the rule, right? i, I let them in my space, but then you also got to teach them at the same time, whether it be you or whoever, you let them know, hey, you're a little close, but you're my friend. I want you to be here, but you got to be careful. Not everybody likes that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so it goes back to routine or steps. You give them steps.
0: Right. But so, not, and not everyone's going to be as understanding as this like roundtable conversation. There's going to be someone that's going to be like, hey, get the fuck away from me and going to potentially deck this individual like and Mm -hmm. that's not
3: okay yeah and you're right and 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 that's where hopefully there's nobody around not not nobody around but hopefully that person's around them when that happens in that sense like hey he's autistic he's gonna be you know whatever someone to intervene yeah because it could be a parent it could be a friend it could be a brother like you know they have these programs like there's times i i you can go on community trips with our friends you know what i mean there's times where they want me to go with them to the supermarket because he has he loses his shit sometimes you Mm -hmm. know what i mean as a super- I know you've, you've seen something like that, right, in the community?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just, <clears throat> whenever you have an individual with autism, you kind of, ex- I would say you expect someone to be there that kind of understands. You know, you have a, you know, an acquaintance, a supervisor, you know, an assistant, parent, someone that's going to be with that kid to, you know, if he's at the grocery store, you're not going to send him by himself. You know, he's obviously going to need a little bit of help, someone to guide him in the system, and you're going to want to have someone there to kind of intervene if, you know, anything escalates, you know, personal space touching, grabbing stuff you're not supposed to grab, you know, meltdowns, all that kind of stuff needs to be, you know, someone needs to be able to manage it. So you kind of expect somebody to be there to intervene.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, I get that. And I've, I've also done some reading, you know, when, when it comes down to this topic. Um, I know that there are children that feel that they have to mask their autism, you know, meaning that there may be, you know, there are some listeners who really do believe that people with autism don't feel the same way that we do but i feel like they they you know individuals with autism they feel the same way that we do you know they're humans as well um is there something that within that you've seen within your profession christian that like where like these children have told you like hey this individual hurt my feelings or i have to like mask my feelings or i have to like act a certain way to society so i don't get judged
1: yeah of course i mean like i said there's a the spectrum is so big like you can have borderline patients that you know you wouldn't even expect to have autism um i have a kid right now you know he's afraid of bullying he's going into high school right now he'll tell me he'll sit there and tell me hey i'm you know i'm scared to be bullied um what do i do what do you recommend you know just kind of give him a couple steps to you know kind of reminders like hey remember personal space you know if someone teases you turn the other way just kind of giving them basic you know tips to survive yeah um but there's obviously you know other kids on the other side of the spectrum they don't really kind of are aware of their surroundings, you know, they're yeah. just kind of living. So anyone bullying them, they probably wouldn't even know they're bullying. Yeah. You know, they are just kind of keep moving and just doing their thing.
0: I think I could personally vouch for that because for me, I remember I was, in, and I remember this like it was yesterday. There was, I was in seventh grade and I remember I was a bully in a sense, um, you know, not towards like individuals that were bigger than me, but I would target those special education kids and I didn't know any better. You know, I just thought that there was something wrong with them. And it's like, I, it sucked, you know, like now that I look back on it, it's like I could definitely reflect on this and I and I definitely want to share this story Not to make me look like a horrible person or anything, but like to be able to recognize Hey, there are these individuals like I believe this little girl That was definitely autistic. Like now I know it i'm like, oh my god like I was the biggest douchebag for for even Like saying hey get away from me like that Like that just wasn't okay because all you wanted to do was go ahead and find a friend or be able to go ahead and find some love you know maybe you don't get that within your family i don't know the situation with this individual but i just know that this individual was looking for some sort of affirmation or some sort of love and i wasn't receptive of that and that's like a horrible thing to do as a seventh grader because it's like all you need is love and attention at that point in time
3: yeah i i'm I feeling you because there was a time in elementary we have we grew up with these two individuals and i was gonna say their first name because they had the same first name they were Jeremy's and Something innate in us never really picked on them, but we loved when they would go crazy and be have fun. You know, I mean, they were like just like little kids all day, every day. But then they would fight each other. They hated each other for like, "Hey, you took the ball from me," or whatever. But looking back, how you say you're reflecting? I'm looking back in my head right now, and knowing that I never really bullied them, but I never really edified them. I never built them up. I never. But I was their friend at at times because they got to push in in our class and hang out a little bit, um, fifth grade, sixth grade. But when we got to junior high, we were more defend, we were more defenders. A few of us, me and my friends, we had a group, big group. There's a lot of you know growing up in Lamont. everybody knows everybody. But once you start picking up on picking on those friends, hey, your ass is grass dog. You don't mess with them, right? You know what I mean? So, at the in seventh grade, it was like, yo, Jeremy, go dance, Jeremy. Like, that's your song, yo. And he would be the only one out there just having the time of his life. You know what I mean? And he was, looking back, he was autistic. He was a smart kid, but he had autistic mannerisms. Now, I don't know how far or what he had because it was just, I'm looking, I'm reflecting. I never knew anything about that till now. Now that I'm looking, I work in the schools. Everybody is supportive of our kids and the special ed classes.
0: Yeah, there's a bunch of, like, social media videos that, that exist of, like, you know, the the popular cheerleader going, asking the autistic child to go to prom. And, like, you yeah. know, getting super viral, um, you know, giving this individual that may be autistic and, and dealing with poverty, you know, dealing with some socioeconomic hardships, getting the, you know, the awesome, you know, Jordans, those type of things. Um, so now it's, like, it's, it's not as bad as it used to be. That's, that's for damn sure. Um, but... You know, kind of, and, and I'll ask you this, Christian. Um, is it and kind of going back to the story that that Jesus was sharing? Is it safe to say that children that are born with autism are born to stand out? And meaning, the reason why I ask that is that, and this is my personal thoughts. I feel like that autistic children see life in a much more beautiful lens compared to the to the rest of us. You know, maybe kind of going back to the Jeremys that, that Jesus was talking about. This this individual was able to dance and to stand out, um, you know, and kind of just kind of going back to the question: Do they see things in a much more beautiful way than we do, and are we just too afraid uh, to, you know, do they are we too afraid to act on what they do, the beautiful colors that they that they, you know, that they have on their clothing, because we're too afraid to go ahead and do that, or what are your thoughts on that?
1: You know, I think it just depends. Like I said, on the. The person you're talking about, you know, sounds like Jeremy is kind of a little carefree. He doesn't really have, you know, a thought about responsibilities. A thought about, you know, am I going to make it to tomorrow? He's just kind of living life, you know, just in the moment, present, doing what he likes to do, doing what likes to have fun. But you also have clients that just like to be alone, sheltered, away from everything. You know, they don't like to be in the spotlight. They don't like to be cheered on. They just like to be in their own little world, you know, doing what they want to do. I have a current client that, you know. He he does his work, he goes on break, and that's all he wants to do. He doesn't like high fives, he doesn't like, hey, good job, buddy. He doesn't like any of that. He just likes to do his job, go to his break, and just be on his own.
0: Gotcha. What what about you? uh, What do you see from your children, you know, zero to two years old? Do you see those behaviors and mannerisms from a very early age?
2: Yeah, I do. So, like Christian was saying, like, good job and stuff like that, or even when it comes to um, playing music. Um, like when we dance head head um shoulder knees, and toes mm-hmm. they don 't like that they 'll put their he- um their hands over the ears and be like, "No, no, stop, stop and that 's when you kind of have to find different techniques with the kid, find your groove with the kid right. because like um Jesus and Christian both said um every every kid is different, every person 's different, so um you really have to find um how to work how to work with these with these kids and these people right
0: do do most people assume that individuals that whether they're early age you know from even from zero to two or you know as as young adults or even as adults do is it common to label these individuals as like naughty or weird or lazy
3: like from a social like from a common, cultural perspective yes. common yeah i mean weird because they're, they don't behave as we call normal and we always say what is normal but like he said, like you're saying right now, is that they do live a little freer. To my eyes, they do a little free. It's like when you when you see videos of people just individuals. Like, there's times I, I, I can get that way, too. If you you guys know me, I don't care what anybody says. If I'm dancing, I like a song, I'm going to dance by myself. There's people who dance out there by themselves, and, like, there's nobody around. So the thing of those kids in that area, like, they do whatever they do because they don't care. They They want to do what they love. And that's the beautiful part of it. Like you said, their lens is way different than us. And it's like I wish everybody in the world was like that instead of all the stuff that we're going on right now. But we, that's a whole different story. But the, the idea is we, we are more humbled by them. So you're talking about like how you mentioned earlier, like if you, you don't know how to parent, but parenting a special need or just this person who's special. Like I think my son might be ADHD-ish, ADD-ish. He's been found in that realm. Because early on we didn't we didn't really give him in enough retention, you know what I mean? So so he's more he's getting you know he's he's getting some accommodations maybe a little extra time on comprehending a, a story or a test stuff like that. So right. so that shit didn't exist even twenty years ago. No, it didn't. And and, and that's the thing though. It's like it goes back to like okay. You know, maybe he was just tonto, and just he needs more time. Just give him more time. He'll, he knows what he's talking about. He just I tested him yesterday. He's fine, and today he just people people buck under a test, right? You know what I mean? So, what are what are what are artistic friends or spectrum kid friends? They're you know they're all different. They have some kind of they bring a lot to the table because they make you think about what what are they doing what are, what, what can we do to help them or improve them? Help, you know, whatever, what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. And and it's not so much that we need to fix them. It's just we need to corral their behaviors. It's more of their behaviors versus how they think.
0: Right. Yeah, so, and maybe not so much in your guys' profession, but do you guys see, you know, is it hard for people in society to accept individuals that have been diagnosed with autism, you know? And again, just even remove the cultural barriers. Um, just looking at it from, like, friends. Have you... Have you guys witnessed that, and um, and what are your thoughts on that?
1: You know, I actually uh, read an article that parents who receive a diagnosis for their kid having autism is as impactful as losing somebody to a death. You know, because you know parents have this plan, this game set up for their kid. You know, he's going to be a football star. He's going to be a talent. He's going to have all these friends, all this you know lifestyle or professional. Yeah, professional. You know, he's going to have this job. He's going to be a doctor. That all changes you know right. once you get diagnosed, you have to change your whole game plan. you have to change your own game plan and their game plan. You know so they're not going to live to the expectation you're going to set up beforehand. you have to you know change your, your perspective, change what they're going to do and you know live to their best life w- and kind of reiterate that when you're teaching.
0: Yeah, for sure no that, that, that makes sense. There's a correlation between the grief and loss of someone because they're essentially they're grieving and losing that even the idea mm-hmm. but that that's just you know it may be something that's long- term. But it's, but that sounds like it's more short-term because they lack that insight. They lack that education that, and that understanding that there are resources that exist out there. And like, for example, and, and maybe you guys could educate me on, on this. I, I just learned about this not so long ago. But the Field of Dreams, it's a nonprofit uh, here locally that does um, for individuals that have physical disabilities that play baseball and, or t-ball or maybe softball. Um, but to me, that was beautiful. Um, I definitely want to go ahead and, and kind of learn more about them. And that's like another story. But, you know, things, that, resources like that, they're nonprofits that exist. Are there any nonprofits, um, even on local or national level, that you guys could think of that exist out there for individuals,
3: for parents, for families? Um, I know from the kid that I was talking about earlier, my, my client, my little buddy. We'll call him A. Um, he, he was homeschooled for most of his life. And before he, I think it was fifth grade, I want to say sixth grade-ish, um, he actually went to public school. Um, but So he was going to be socially awkward. But what kind of helped him to not be that far social is that a lot of these people, um, there's families in Bakersfield that homeschool their kids, and they get together every so often. Now, I don't know how they, they find each other, maybe a group on Facebook or whatever, but it's like a home think of a homeschool group. They all meet at the park every Saturday or something. You know what I mean? So for artistic friends who are like that, that's, that's where they get their social learning skills.
0: So it's a way for, for the children to go ahead or the young adults to go ahead and interact with one another. Mm-hmm. But also, it kind of sounds like it's a way for parents to kind of debrief. To be able to vent about what's going on, because I, I'm assuming it's it's difficult to be a parent. I
3: think they're freer in that particular environment or in that that realm. because there's all the parents are around the little parking. I mean, uh, the the little playground. There's like tables and like mini barbecues, or they just bring snacks and and like picnic baskets or whatever, right? So they're, they they surround the playground and they just let them play. And there's like a Jastro Park, it's huge. And then yet there's trees they can go play around. It's big enough for them to go play. And then you got kids playing on the playground or they'll play in the basketball, depending on their age. And some, I'm not saying all, but there's a few autistic kids there. And so my friend fed in. Everybody was cool. It was always a Saturday. where they are four or five hours just handling. So that's something. not so much as nonprofit, but that's another aspect for maybe yeah. parents who are looking for, they don't want to throw them to the wolves just yet, like saying public school and stuff. Maybe learn every weekend till they get them out.
0: And that might be a good idea. Um, um, sorry to interrupt, but that might be a good idea just even for, for parents to go ahead and develop a support group if it came down to it, you know, down the road. And and we could be of a resource for that, but that's another story. But go ahead, Alicia.
2: Um, So for me, um, a lot of people don't know, and I honestly just found out um, about the services that kids receive. So um, if you have a baby and the baby is premature, you can go ahead and receive services. So a lot of parents don't know that. I didn't know that. Um, my brother, who was a year and a half, he's premature. And once I started working with um, with my current job, you know, I told my parents, oh, like, um, my brother is premature. You guys can put him into services, get him, you know, an early start. So he can um, help. So they can help him, like, with different things. So help him learn his colors, his shapes. And he was also delayed in crawling, so um we had somebody come by and help him with all those things crawling walking and then now he's starting to say words little by little but it really does make an impact on these kids
0: for sure yeah anything that like what what about resources for like parents like what are, what resources exist because uh, you know I'm, I'm assuming that they have uh you know they need some time to go ahead and just kind of debrief from from the everyday hardships or you know any
1: anything that you guys have I mean, all I can think about right now is like Facebook groups. You know, I have plenty of parents that are always looking on Facebook groups um, just because they need someone to understand them. You know, you have a lot of first-time parents and imagine being a first-time parent and with a special needs kid, that's a lot on the parent. Um, So they need someone to, you know, talk to, you know, they can talk to their Facebook friends. They go to, you know, websites online like Autism Speaks to kind of get that kind of information out there Um, just so... They know they're being heard, and, you know, what they're seeing isn't, like, brand new. You know, we've seen it before. We know how to react to it. We know how to adapt to it. Um, and that's really, like, where they can get the resources from. Um, also, like, the Kern Regional Center here in, you know, here in Kern County, you know, yeah. they provide services for families. You know, respite work. They do speech. They do early start, EABT, early behavior intervention. Um, that all, you know, it's all for these kids, all for them, the parents to kind of rely on and get those help. help yeah. Them.
3: Even the schools, um, if, depending on what age they're in, but... They got school psychs. Some, some schools share a school psych or they have their own on-site 24-7, five-day-a-week school psych. So school psychs has all the, all the you know, resources they have out there as well, You know the testing, the assessments. And outside resources, like you know, there's so many um, providers of ABA in the home. So there's a lot of people who are not utilizing that. I got a kid at, at my school, sad to say, he should not be at my school. He needs more behavioral help and ABA um, assistance, behavior, just things like, because he's, he's very hard to manage in the classroom. Right. So, and parents aren't really receptive to that idea that the, my kid, all my kids are special and I need to, he should be in school. Well, right. It's not my kid. It's the institution. But, and that's the thing, is that everybody else in the classroom but him sits there and do their work. Now, they may be stemming, like when we talk about other stuff, but this kid... Like for a better term, he's a little more wild than everybody else, right he doesn't follow the rules he's non compliant he's very defiant, and sad to say it, it he he he's not getting it he knows he's not supposed to leave the room he bolts he elopes almost every day four or five times a day, if not more than that, so essentially he has like a wall behaviors he always does so and then he's being more violent he's scratching, kicking spitting, and he finds it funny, so it's it's very cynical for lack of a better, it, I'm telling you, it's, it's one of those situations where this is the big case where parents need to take heed to what they're saying, but then there's not support around that either. I, right. I'm not going to get too, yeah, you don't have it's to. more, no, po- it's more political as well. Or like, you know what I mean? But it's when, if, if the father would just step up and say something, things would have changed already. Yeah, for sure. You know what I'm saying? So
0: it's it's a combination of both parents that need to be on the same on the exactly. same team. Exactly.
3: So, and and that's where it makes it hard. Like he would be a tough case. He back in my day when I was doing the ABA, he'd probably be a case that I would work with because you gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta, prom, you gotta start up the behavior to fix the behavior. Gotcha. That's the main rule is that you gotta fix. You gotta see the behavior to fix it. So I I might I might spark it and see what happened, what it looks like. And then what can we do? What do I need to do? How do we adapt? Even though they have an assessment plan, they have a whole behavioral plan. What do we need to do? Is he, he's a climber. He's a kicker. He's a scratcher. He's a spitter. What do we need? What, what replacement behaviors can we develop for this kid? And that's, those are the, one of the hardest cases.
0: Got gotcha. Um, so I, I guess I got to ask you guys, how do you guys as professionals kind of cope? Like what do, what do you guys do? Because you know, I'm assuming that the, the job that you guys have isn't easy. Um, What do do you guys do?
1: You know, although it does sound kind of hard, like, dealing with these kids, I think for me it brings me joy when you see the progress, when you see, you know, parents thanking you, when you see the kids smiling and, you know, laughing, when you see these kids that are nonverbal, say their first words, when you see the kid that hasn't been able to walk, you know, learn to walk. Those are all the rewarding moments for us because it knows that what we're doing is, you know, the right thing. We're teaching them, and they're actually learning. So I think it's more rewarding in that sense than, you know, going home and being like, man, I had such a rough day. Because you're always seeing, like, the progression and the movements. And they do good stuff. You know, they're good kids. You know, they might just have learned a different way. But, you know, they don't make your life bad. You know, just teaching them a certain way, having them reflect that, progress. And this is good stuff. Gotcha.
2: Um, me, I love my job. Um, I love working with the babies, the toddlers, the infants. Um, it is challenging at times, especially, like, um, when you go in and <clears throat> especially when you see, like, a kid for the first time. Um, you don't really know what to do. You kind of have to find your groove with the kid, like I said earlier. Um, but I like being with the kids. I like teaching them their colors, their basic, um, shapes and stuff like that. I enjoy it. Um, I wouldn't change it at all. Um, I actually want to be a teacher. So, um, this is my starting point and just making sure, you know, that I like what I do and I do like what I do. So, um, yeah, just being there for the kids, helping them out, making an impact like palma said um the reward it's rewarding when a parent comes to you and says, "Thank you so much for helping my kid. um you made an impact on them, and you know now I know how to work with my kid so those are really that's really rewarding to hear the parents say those things to you
0: for sure i mean it, it just sounds like it it's like you guys aren't ready to give up like those reward- you know those those uh, words of affirmation that come from the families it, it just keeps you going and it, and it drives you to continue for these individuals.
3: What about for you, Chewie? A lot of whiskey. A <laughs> ton of whiskey, though. I'm sorry, but nah. You know what? I I intended to become a teacher, and then when I started the whole group counseling um, by way of actually working with men in a men's home, a group counseling in a men's home, right? So you're talking about rehab. and Then from there, my director, he opened up the outpatient, where I started working with group home kids, and that's where I got my brunt of, like, Working with kids, I did all kinds of other stuff. Working with after school programs, ESL programs, et cetera, et cetera. But working with the group home kids was an eye opener because I knew about group home kids, and there was a stigma about that that they're all bad, they're all you know, they're all worthless, they're all fuck ups. But they're not. Half of them are. Half of them just got caught up with wrong the wrong people. But and then that came from the staff. Yeah. Wow. That's that's tough to hear, man. And so. But and actually, there's a lot of kids that are in the group homes that were there because of what their parents done. They got taken. And there was no foster, you know, they, there was no placement, et cetera, et cetera. So, I got a lot of it. So, that one group home, I had a kid who, of, at that time, 2005, he they, he was diagnosed Asperger's. This kid had no filter. Straight up Sheldon. Big Bang Theory Sheldon. Straight up. Oh, I love that character. So, exactly like that. Very smart. Very smart Alec. Can dish it can very quippy, fifteen sixteen, mm-hmm. but you know and something that we never touched upon, speaking of autism, is all the meds that can be administered or not administered. They don't want to have them. You know what I mean? There's so much thing. That's a no. That's like another like Pandora <laughs> box, right? So do you want to open it? Well, hold on. Let me finish. <laughs> so he he would take. I think at that time he was taking a fight and he was the coolest dude. But when he was on it. Yeah, you, you notice the difference. He was really chill, really soft-spoken, and he would just say what was on his mind versus he was just bouncing off the walls talking crazy shit. And the kid that I described earlier who's behavioral, not on meds. All right. So I'm, I'm not always 100% for meds or whatever, but there's times where you need something just to calm down. Kids going one hundred fifty thousand miles an hour. I need them about an eighty. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I'm not saying that's that's the always the answer, but there are kids who are not always reachable. Gotcha. In that respect, honestly, big. You know, I'm not talking about two year olds, four year olds. I'm talking about seven, eight, nine, ten. Those mid years where parents are really not knowing what's out there. Like, remember, there's a lot of parents who are naive to autism. Or all this stuff all the different meds that are coming out what well, the generics and well wh- how, why can't we get the real one or well, the real one's more expensive right so so I, I do want to go there because that's that's a good segment and and
0: I have one more segment and if there's some segments that you guys want to go ahead and talk about we still have some time so um, I do want to address the medication um, Christian, you as a supervisor um, I'm assuming that you deal with uh, with psychiatrists that go ahead and prescribe the psychotropic medications. Um, I, I don't want to go ahead and get your thoughts on psychotropic medications, but, you know, wh- uh, what are some of the things that you deal with as a professional from both the parents, the psychiatrist, um, you know, your patients themselves, your clients themselves? What are some things that you that you see that you observe?
1: Uh, I think the most that I see is, you know, parents coming to terms whether they want to do medication or not, because when they do, um, they have to come to terms that, you know, it's going to be a big personality difference. You know, they're not going to act the same. And that's what a lot of parents are scared of. You know, they want their baby to stay the same and not act different. But, you know, at the end of the day, I have an 18-year-old right now whose parents are 55, 56. You know, you can't restrain. You can't go after these kids like you were when you were 30. You know, you, you need a little bit of help, you know, the meds to keep them calm. So if he does have behaviors, he's able to be managed, you know. And that's really where it comes down to is, like, are you physically able to handle these behaviors, these situations yourself, or do you need that little bit of extra help with, like, the medication, make sure their moods stay low, you know, make sure their behavior stay calm? That's what really it comes down to. It's don't forget on to, the parent.
3: Don't forget to give them the meds because I had one where my staff, when I came in, when I was working in another group home, they didn't give him his meds when I came in, the shift change. Right, okay, the homeboy, homeboy was 16, 17, about routine, coming in every day. We needed his med at 8. Didn't get his med at 8. I'm there doing an overnighter. This kid is bouncing off the walls, destroying his room, throwing everything everywhere. I try to give him his med to see if he'd come down he wouldn't he tried to fight me. It was insane gotcha I finally gave it to him fifteen twenty minutes knocked out gotcha and
0: and the reason you know the the autism it's it goes above and beyond a developmental um you know uh disability it's It's more along the lines of you know, these, these individuals, they have a chemical disbalance in the, in the brain that prevents them from being able to, to function as, quote-unquote, you know, social norms. Um, but, you know, are there, you know, not, the parents not being able to go ahead and see their babies as babies, you know, is, is that something that prevents them from being able to go ahead and, like, getting medication, does that prevent them from obtaining services? I want to hear what Alicia has to say
3: with the little ones if they're all medicated or not. Oh, are they medicated?
0: I didn't even think.
2: Most of my kids aren't medicated. Are Um, there some? Is there at least a percentage? There may be some, but I don't have that information. Gotcha. Um, But what I do is when they're bouncing off the walls like that, we'll go outside and we'll go play or we'll go to the park. Um, There's some kids that just can't sit down. Like they want to be all over the place. So sometimes we'll do like scavenger hunts and that will really help, you know, calm them down. Um, but you kind of, like I said, you really have to, um, get to know your kid. Um, all kids are different. Um, most of my kids, they're pretty calm. They sit down with me, but then there's others. You, you kind of have to go up and down with them.
0: Gotcha. Wow. I, honestly, um, thanks for putting me on check there because I didn't even think that babies would be on medication and there may be some that actually
3: are. I'm thinking about like three or four year olds who, who have been officially diagnosed in that realm and wow. have those behaviors, zero to two you can get there, but which ones really need it is when you you see three, four, five year old just having these crazy <sighs> blow ups. Wow, I,
0: I just I never would have assumed that.
3: Wow, the kid I was talking about I was only six. Wow, and on medication on psychotropic medications no, that it are is not running a hundred miles
0: an hour. Wow, man, wow,
3: it is everywhere.
0: So. Does that does the medications when does that whenever they hear hey my your child may need to get on some psychotropic medications does that push the the parent away from wanting to get
1: services?
3: It's suggested, but it's up to them ultimately. Right.
1: I feel like a lot of different things come into play when you do that. You know, cost can insurance cover it? Do you have insurance? Um, All that really plays a factor. You know, a lot of these impoverished families, you know, they're getting services they can't you know afford. A lot of stuff. They can't afford to provide materials for intervention or that kind of stuff. So just hearing like, hey, your kid needs meds is just like, oh man, even though I have like Medi-Cal or something, like they just still think about cost and they can't afford stuff and you just can't get everything for the kid.
0: So there's a socioeconomic barrier that, that exists. Wow. I want to get into, the, and again, if there's any segments that you guys want to go ahead and introduce, uh, feel free to. But one final segment that I want to go ahead and do is I want to talk about a statistic that I found 70 to 90 percent of autistic individuals currently do not have jobs and 80 percent live with a family member caregiver according to the National Autism Society. And to me that stood out because working with adults and, you know, that's the area that I thrive in but I noticed that there are so many barriers when it comes down to, re, uh, you know, being able to provide psycho, uh, like psychotherapy services to someone that has an autism diagnosis. Um, and again, I have stories where it's like, oh, okay, like there may be a development, a developmental disability immediately go to another resource. Do not provide him because do not provide services to him because then it's going to be a liability. And it's like, like, why? And, and I don't and I, and I never understood that. Like, go ahead and link them to or see if there's a rule out if there's any linkage to a regional center. Um, so that statistic stood out to me. You know, 70 to 90 percent of individuals do not have jobs. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that?
1: I mean, I guess for me, it's like, because the range of autism is so big, I would just say only maybe like the top end of the, you know, people with autism would be able to get jobs, you know, and they have to be able to follow directions. You have to be able to, you know, be told feedback, take that in and apply it. And it's really at the very high end of the autism, you know, the very, very mild. The planner routines
3: that they, they, they encompass, like, you know, those who, who can receive that, is what he's trying to say.
1: Because, mm-hmm. I mean... You can't give every job to a kid with autism. You know, you have to give them the very simple, routine-based plan, step by step of what they can do. You know, so you can't expect a, someone to go drive a bus. You know, you can't expect them to do those kinds of jobs. You have to give them their very simplified jobs for them to succeed in. Yeah,
0: and some of those, and some of those employers won't be willing to go ahead and pay for the hours or the benefits for those
3: individuals to go ahead and. So there has to be a systemic change. Really quick, you asked about it, like certain programs, the Able program. What is the I, able program? I forgot the acronym <laughs> okay. name for it, but it's on it's Stockdale and Montclair, and the kiddo that I was working with, who is not really autistic but have behavioral developmental stuff, he was like twenty some years old, and there's other kids who are autistic. They go to this particular area and they give him the life skills, and they show him they um, or them. They take him like different areas, and I know they took him to the food bank to help pack charge people make sure everything's stocked up, stuff like that. It gave them basic, you know, customer service skills or, right. or inventory stuff at the food bank. Everyone, you know, every what once a week or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that can also help benefit our older friends because that gives them the tools to at least kind of get a job, to give them something to work three, four, five hours a day. Maybe not an eight hour day, maybe, you know, at least four hours. But that's. The intangibles that that he's kind of alluding to, like can they perform these particular tasks? And a lot of the times they they can. Like, there's a movie from a long time ago called The Boys Next Door, thing with kids, the adults who have jobs. Now, I don't I don't remember exactly what each each of them have, but they were of, of the special need type. So, I think there's stories out there that there there people can do that. Yeah, can pack groceries at least, you know, whatever. Knowing the routine, remember it goes back to routines. Yeah. Can they follow a process? Yeah. Um, what are
0: some barriers that that happen as you know as these kids age out? Because at some point, you know, they're you know you only serve a certain population. Then what happens to them?
1: Uh, it really depends on their skill level, you know. Um, for ABA, I want to say our intervention years are probably three to four years, you know, and our goal is to have parents be able to handle their kid, teach their kid, and react to their kid properly. So after the age out of us, it's just kind of up to the parents, you know, what they want to do. But there's resources out out there after us, like respite, you know, um, group homes if they need it, you know, where they can give these kids some opportunity to kind of grow independency skills, the ABLEs program too. The parents can send them there to get more, you know, job opportunities in that way. Yeah,
3: Social awareness, Mm -hmm. stuff like that, you know. Like the kid that I'm working with, uh, where I was working with, um, he more than likely will just stay at home with mom for the rest of his life. Because, mm-hmm. like, for a better description or whatever, he rarely knows the difference between right and wrong. Yeah. So it's hard. Yeah.
0: And, and I know that there's um, you know, there's a program out in Taft, you know, again, on a, on a local level. There's a Taft College that they do, like, a, being able to go ahead and train them how to live independently. Is that something that you guys refer them to or?
1: It just depends. Like, like a lot of people might not know that I exist, you know? So it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's just about like what company you go to, what services they can provide. <laughs> and a lot of it is self digging. Like parents have to go out there and find these resources themselves because they don't they just have to Google it, you know? Cause a lot of people don't know where these resources are and there's new ones that popping up every day, right? you know, that people don't know about can not get a reach of. So it's a lot about what the parents want for their kid and how to go find
0: it. Yeah.
2: Um, I just have a question for Christian. Um, Are they, so once they, like the four or five years pass, are they able to go into different, um, you know, services? I know there's quite a few. There's ACES, Spectrum. Are they able to go to someone else?
1: Sometimes. Not all the time. So it's kind of up to their insurance current regional whether they accept it or not. Um, usually around the four-year mark, five years, is where they're like, okay, you know, we've had enough services. Are we not seeing progress? Are we not seeing something? If so, like, what can we do to switch it out? You know, do you need a new provider? Like you said, like ACES, CARD, or someone like that? Um, or is there something we're missing? Do we need a different type of intervention besides ABA? Do we need, you know, social skills? Do we need to go to the ABLEs, you know, learn life skills? and that?
3: Kaiser has their own services. Like, obviously, they always keep everything in-house. So if you have personal counseling, they have that. But for the kiddo that I was talking about who was always, you see Christian? You see Christian? mom, just tell me yes. Dad switched jobs and got Kaiser. They had to go to Easter Seals. So I couldn't provide the actual f- full full range of ABA. But she wanted me at least for the respite so she can go do her job because somebody else was coming in a couple hours. But she, she wanted these many hours, blah, blah, blah. And they gave it to her. You know what I mean? But. Kaiser, I don't know how far they go into their, their system of, you know, what he's talking about as far as how many years or whatever, but Kaiser's pretty good about keeping it with their own. If you're under insurance, you, right. you're there.
0: Yeah. And these are local and these are local resources to the, you know, to Kern County and, um, you know, for anyone else that's listening to this, that doesn't reside in Kern. I definitely encourage you to go ahead and, and look elsewhere, um, and and identify the different resources that exist. I know locally there's a there's two and one that you could reach out to, and you could go ahead and just inquire, you know, questions as to the resources that exist within your community. And That's pretty common within all counties. Um, before we conclude, is there anything else that I haven't touched on that you guys wanted to go ahead and, and discuss? I really appreciate this conversation.
1: I think the only thing I'd want to say is like you know, if you ever have a concern about you know your kid having autism or any symptoms that you might see. I mean, number one is contact a pediatrician, you know, let them see for themselves, give you ideas, and they'll refer you to who you need to be referred to, you know, current regional center, whether it's us, an assessment tool, a psychologist, psychiatrist, they'll let you know who you have to go to in order to get these, you know, resources given to you. Um, And that's like the biggest thing, you know, a lot of parents let things slide, you know, they turn their backs, turn a blind eye, when there's resources available to you, you know, a lot of these are for free, you know, a lot of parents don't have to pay for these out of pocket as little as zero to three. So, you know, even getting that little extra help, even your kid is just delayed, it makes a big difference, you know, because not every parent's going to sit there one-on-one each day, you know, get the help that you need, go out there, ask for it.
0: For sure. Appreciate that. Any final thoughts?
2: Um, I just want to say, like, um, any services, um, you can get them in Kern County. Um, A lot of kids are able (coughs) to get these services. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, um, if you see a delayment, fine motor, gross motor, um, crawling, you know, stuff like that, speech, call Kern Regional Center. They're able to help you out. Um, They're able to answer your questions. Um, And, yeah, I love my job. I love working with the kids that I do. It's super awesome. I love being um, a teacher to these kids. You know, they're kind of the first. They see me first until they move on, you know, kindergarten, preschool, all those things. So it's just really great being able to. Um, help these kids in in my way and um, help these parents out as well.
0: Perfect. Any final thoughts?
3: Yeah. Um, those of you who may not have the, the conventional insurance, medi is always 100%. You got services everywhere if you got Medicaid, especially in the autistic, it, stuff like that.
0: Even in any state, there's Medicaid. Yeah,
3: so ones. anything of that nature, they're, they're, especially here in County because it's pretty prevalent here. Um, but I know when I was counseling and I know when I was doing ABA, they were a hundred percent medical medical covered it, you know, so yeah. if you're weary of it, but yeah, I don't be scared. It's hard. I got, I was scared a little bit at one time about my son cause he was a little delayed, but he's good. It's just, you know, he's, he, he just a little slower at doing things. Not so much that he's, you know, intellectually deficient. or anything. It. It's just, you know, I was not ready to. Put that on him because I felt it was our fault that we didn't push it. So it's more a processing system where he couldn't gather where we're telling him right away, versus somebody who's autistic who can go 100 miles an hour versus just be really reserved and not talk.
0: As a professional that's worked with autistic children and kind of uh, being able to tie it down as a parent, did you feel guilty uh, or love or love your child any less because of the fact
3: that he's my first son? I mean, I love him to death. As far as I mean. More than anything, life in itself. I want. I try to. I want him to emulate who how I was. Because there's times I feel like I might have been somewhere on there. Like my comprehension. Sometimes I read something. I might need to read it a second time.
0: Oh yeah, and you, you and know, I, and you and I are friends, so I definitely question that as well. You know, yeah, your, your so, comprehension. Yeah,
3: you 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 just jealous of me. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, again, I I I think it's just to get past that whole. Taboo of my kid might be autistic. The stigma. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like nobody wants to talk about it though. That's the point. Yeah. And that's why it's not so much the stigma. It's just the time. No, <clears throat> I'm about it. no, no. You know what I mean? They don't. Yeah. And they're not really receptive to the idea that, okay. But then there, there's many who've come out of it clean, you know. And I had a kid who I worked since he was my first client. He graduated before he was in seventh grade. And he, that was another thing I was. Gonna, you brought it up a earlier. Was kids knowing that they're autistic use that as a as an excuse, so they use it like, "Oh, I'm autistic. It's okay." It's crazy how he used it all the time. Yeah, and he found a friend who was the same way. So now they're, awesome. be, they're betties, but he tried to play him. He tried to you know he would get out of. He has to clean his room. He has to throw out the trash. Has to help cut the grass. Has to pick up the leaves. Oh, I'm autistic. I don't know how to do those things
0: yeah so he would use that as a essentially like a like a crutch, but a but, crutch he was, but, he was, but he was but he was but he was well he was very aware that hey this is the disability that I have, but at, at times that would it and
3: would that was what I was going to bring up was that, and then the fact that um he he did be not really bullied, but one kid would just point it out all the time wow, so that was something that was engraved in his so he used it and So that was one of those things where he It it became prevalent in his life Yeah, You know so
0: For sure Well I'd like to go ahead and thank everyone um, As we conclude this episode Um, So this episode Episode 5 Destigmatized Autism Respectfully professionals involved in autism Could be streamed on iHeartRadio Spotify, Apple Podcasts, And the Google Podcast Store So thanks everyone for being here today Sincerely appreciate y'all